This is episode number 16 with Benny Harradine. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. This was my first episode recorded in Sweden, my new second home. However, it was with an Aussie, a hilarious and great athlete and great performance operator of an Aussie. Ben is a three-time Olympian in the sport of track and field as a discus thrower and is the Australian national record holder. He's the first ever Indigenous athlete to win a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games and is currently living in Sweden, working as the High Performance Director at one of Stockholm's track and field clubs, Hammerby Fridrot. I wanted to bring him onto the podcast because his life of impact filters from a few different perspectives and I'm personally empowered by his pride as an Olympian and his passion to give back to his communities that have supported him along his journey. Even if you're not involved in sport at any level, you'll get a lot from this one. In this episode, you will learn how the importance of embracing your culture can strengthen your deeper drive to succeed, skills that athletes develop during their careers that make them more employable, the power of knowledge sharing and yarning circles, mental health issues in sport from an insider's perspective, the art of, uh, sorry, the art behind flipping the bird and throwing everything from pizza to prosthetic legs, and how his experience of being treated like an athlete by management and not as a person throughout his career has shaped his philosophy in his new role as high performance director at his athletics club in Sweden to build a relationships-based culture and environment by providing mentoring opportunities and treating all coaches and athletes as humans first. Benny is also a very talented musician and I asked him to bring along his guitar to this chat, but we forgot to pull it out. So the background music you can hear right now and that was playing for the lead into this intro is actually from Ben and his mate and they call themselves Surface Department. A photo and I just want you to just elaborate on whatever comes to mind when I show you this photo Benny <laughs> <laughs> probably not one of my best moments I have to say um, gee whiz yeah what do I say with that <laughs> I guess I'm quite well known for having a large chest so I think I you have to kind of roll with that a little bit and um, promote it as a strong point. And wearing a push-up bra was the only way I could do that. 
<laughs> so the picture we're referring to is you in a purple push-up bra, but it's more so around who you're with in that photo, which is your old man who you call Pop, and he's flipping the bird in that as well. That's true, yeah. Pop likes to flip the bird. He does. Um, that came about on a, a quite a strange circumstance, actually. We're here in Sweden, in Vekwa, and... Uh, we're walking around. Vekwa is, is kind of a small town, not much really to do. Um, and uh, we ended up outside this closed coffee shop and Dad was a bit cranky. So I said, I'll go over and take a photo outside that coffee shop and do something. And so he stood outside and he was cranky, so he flipped the bird. And um, that was the birth of Pop Slips the Bird. So by for everyone listening, by flipping the bird, we actually mean um, putting sticking your finger up and... Benny's old man or pop is well known for it's even a hashtag pop flips the bird yeah, <laughs> you it. see him doing it all around the world and it's all out of uh, good steed so there's no no wrongdoing from uh, pop flipping the bird no no he means no harm by it it's just kind of like a something a bit of fun you know not, not taking things too seriously you said a word there fun that I think relates a lot to you and people who know you and a big part of what I believe is your core ethos and values is around having fun and we'll dive into that a bit more after but let's talk a bit more about your relationship with your pop and your family and how they have helped uh, shape you as the human you are and on your athletics journey. I guess I've never really had to look very far for inspiration. Um, My dad has been one of those people for me for my entire career. Uh, I'd safe to say without going into too much detail that um, he's been a person who's been through a fair bit of adversity in his own life, um, leaving home at 13 with not a, not a shilling and uh, from a small town of Narandra, moving to the big smoke and um, going and searching for work. His father died when he was quite young also and um, didn't really have a good connection with that side of his family. So. Uh, he moved to the big smoke and um, without any formal education and started doing odd jobs and things as a 14 year old and if I was to put myself in those shoes um, I don't know if I think I would have been able to manage um, like especially coming from the country where you you know like your neighbors are your best mates and and um, you know everyone in the town I guess you're familiar with this but um, you know my, my dad has been one of those people who's you know, come from nothing and then worked his way up the ladder without any formal education and um, able to provide for us or our family, my brother and I, and um, with him and my mum, they're a great match. They have their, they're quite a contrast of people. My mum's a listener and my dad's a talker. Um, but uh, I think what my dad has been able to prove to me the most is to always be yourself. And uh, he, he doesn't change for anyone. And that's quite evident um, when we started to travel a lot more together. I remember we were in Daegu for 2011 World Champs and there's a guy from Hungary named Zoltan Kavago and we were both warming up in the same circle. And obviously when you're speaking to people whose English isn't their first language, you dumb down your Australian accent, but that's not my old man. So he just rolls straight up to Zoltan and goes, G'day Zoltan, are they coming out the front mate? Meaning, you know, how, how are you throwing the discus? And uh, Zoltan just looked at me and um, as if to say, what is he saying? <laughs> so I had to translate Australian to English and 
but that's kind of my dad in a nutshell. Like, he'd do anything for for his kids and his family. Very passionate person. And between him and and my mum, they've been able to provide, you know, a wealth of knowledge um, without really being directly teaching us things, but more setting examples through their own behaviours and what they've done and what they've provided for myself and my brother. So being able to share that journey with my dad and, and my mum and having them in the arena is probably the most important thing for me, I would say. Um, and then to have my dad as my coach is uh, another uh, essence of my longevity in the sport, I think, and also being able to learn and always enjoy what, what we're doing. So your dad has been your coach through this whole period of you as an athlete? No, he hasn't. Um, I started off in Newcastle with a, an old engineer and then from there I, I moved around a fair bit, went to Sydney, um, went to Brisbane, moved down to Gus Popolo who had also been um, one of the people who I see as most influential in my career. And then I went over to Germany and uh, trained with Jürgen um, Schult, who's the world record holder in the disc. But um, Dad took it upon himself to use Jürgen as a mentor. So he wanted to learn a little bit more about discus. He was a sprinter himself, so he didn't really have any direct connection to it. But he just wanted um, to see me be better. And so he went over to Jürgen and talked a lot about training and principles and his own ideas. and. And then we started to work together, Dad and I, and um, it's been fantastic ever since. You know, he he doesn't have, I would say, the technical knowledge that might be relatable to the scientists of the world, but he's able to communicate what it is that he wants um, through me. Uh, and I, obviously I've had have that education um, where I'm able to speak the, the lingo, but um, he's always always searching for new things to try and to, you know, the one or the two percenters to be better at. And that's something that I think is extremely important as a coach is to never, you know, rest and say that this is enough or he's always looking for th new things to do. And I think that's enabled me to uh, continue on because I want to try them out and see if they work or they don't. So it's been fun. I see your relationship with your your dad especially but your parents through the way that you expose your life on social media in such a um, positive, enlightening and even in a mentoring kind of aspect and I see that that relationship is vitally important for you and you mentioned a few other names there before that we'll dive into a little bit later around the mentoring aspect. Before we do move forward, Benny Harradine, Shena Huda Laggett and welcome to Your Life of Impact. <laughs> so for everyone listening, we're sitting here in Sweden uh, at Benny at your track and field club, which is Hammerby uh, Friedrich. That's right. Yeah. Pronounce that right. Very good. Uh, you're now employed here to enhance the athlete and coach experience of this club, which we'll get into more as we move forward. But I've known you through the sport of track and field uh, for a lot of years now, but I guess where we're most similar uh, and most connected is through the fact that we both have Swedish fiancés and we're sort of living here in Sweden now. That's right, mate. I could think of worse places to be. You know, we've both got fantastic partners. Um, you know, we have the beauty of going between two fantastic countries and um, sharing our experiences and knowledge with the greater communities. 
what similarities do you see because i was actually surprised when i first came uh, to sweden a few years ago there's a lot of similarities between the cultures of australia and sweden do you find that uh, yeah there there are there are many um similarities in terms of like being outdoors um i think the longing for um being outside and getting into the bush is something that we have in common with swedes um gee where's where to start there's so many um the nature um we're very easygoing people and i think that's why we get along so well with the swedes is because you know too easy mate is kind of something that we share in common yes that's exactly what i was getting at i feel like that that ease of your approach to life is well accepted in sweden absolutely absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so i want to talk to you about pride because when i think of benny harradine the athlete I think of a proud Australian Olympian. Absolutely. I think that sense of honour of wearing the green and gold has been blindsided a little bit by performance. Um, We're so hell-bent on whether or not someone's winning a gold medal or a silver medal or a bronze medal and rather respecting the fact that it's an honour to represent your country. Um, And that sense of team that I that I feel when I'm a part of the Aussie team when we're going to Worlds, Commonwealths or Olympics is something that I really try and take upon myself to, you know, bring in some of the older crew and um, nurture some of the younger guys to, to, for it to be more about, you know, who you're representing, what you represent and remember that those who have been there the whole way um, to get you, like the baggy green is, I suppose, in, in cricket in Australia. That's an absolute honour to have the ugliest cricket hat going around. But for me to wear the, the green and gold is, is something that carries a whole deal of pride because I know that, you know, why, what could be better than having a job where you can represent your country and go out there and, and do your best for your country? Um, so I, I think that that needs to be brought back into the spotlight a little more and, and that the athletes and the staff are all on board that culture. Um, and I don't know how exactly to do that, but I think setting an example like seeing the people that are out there rather than a player or a, a performer or a number um, and, and making that, humanising each person for their qualities and characteristics is would be a good start. You are known for, we said it before, about the word fun and just for fun. And I read in one of your blogs where that actually comes from, from your seven-year-old self with the just for fun. And that sounds like what you're alluding to at the moment. How how has it been for you to bring that aspect into high-performance sport and make it about the journey and not just the results? I think it's been a difficult balance because at some stage along the game, I want to do as good as I can. I want to perform when it matters. And that has been, if I'm completely honest, a, you know, a difficult task for me to do consistently throughout my career. You know, I've had some very successful moments and I've had some very hard moments also and not being able to produce what I wanted. But the underlying focus for all of that has been first enjoyment and um, I think that that's something that I'm trying to really convey to in my job now is that when you look at football and when you look at um, third world countries, for example, they start with playing. 
they start with developing an enjoyment for that sport. Whereas with track and field, you don't go down to the oval and throw a jab because it's fun. Or you don't go and grab a set of starting blocks and, and try it in the street with your mates like you do with a footy or a cricket or something like that. Um, so starting with play and, and beginning the journey with fun, I think would help us with the longevity or keeping athletes developing through the sport from a young age because they're connected by that common sense of fun first. And that's something that I've never lost. And if I did, I would have to stop, I think. If, if I wasn't enjoying this, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. And I think it's important now that we talk about what that fun actually looks like to you because, you, like you said, you want to be the best athlete that you can and you're committed 100% and dedicated to your craft and you train as a full-time high-performance athlete and you dedicate your whole life to it. How do you bring in those aspects of fun? Pop Slits the Bird is one. <laughs> um, the suits that I wore. You know, in 09, I had a, a real struggle with... I came to this crossroads. I was like, I'm not enjoying sport anymore. How can I go back to that, that be, the beginning or, or the sense of why I'm doing it in the first place? And um, that brought about the birth of these crazy suits because I felt that I wasn't being able to show my cr character in the arena. I was wearing the same kit as everyone else. You know, sponsors would send you the same colours as everyone. There's no originality. And so I thought, well, stuff it. I'll, you know, create a few suits. And, you know, it was great to build a little bit of a profile also, but it wasn't so much about that for me. It was more about enjoying what I was doing and giving spectators something to remember other than whether or not I threw 70 metres. It was that they could come and watch someone enjoying what they're doing and enjoy that journey with them. Um, my, one of my greatest things that I did, I think, was when I first started with the suits in Germany, I wore the tuxedo suit that Dave Colbert had. Uh, and then three years later, I, I designed a Bavarian suit. And Halle is one of the largest meets in Germany for throwing. And so I turned up with like a high socks, this Lederhosen suit and a, and a German hat. And when they called my name to enter the circle, it was a huge crowd, like right around the discus ring, and I'd taken off my tracksuit and no one knew what I was going to do. And the, the roar of the crowd was just fantastic. And my first throw, I went out and threw like 66.75. So I have a lot of pressure on myself because I want to perform well, but then I'm also looking like a little bit of a fool as well at the same time. But I'm enjoying it, and, and that's what helps me achieve better results, I think. So just for everyone listening, the suits are a bodysuit, a lycra bodysuit, and you got some. Uh, I would recommend everyone to Google Ben Harradine uh, suits, <laughs> <laughs> or even just Google Ben Harradine. There's some great ones that that pop up there. How has the response? So obviously that one was very German targeted. That was a really good response from the crowd. How has the response been from within organisations or from event organisers and things like that around this aspect of fun that you've been bringing into the sport? I haven't really had a negative uh, comment to say that I wasn't taking myself seriously because, you know, most of the time I'm able to throw pretty well wearing those suits. And plus, it's a little bit of pressure. Like, you've got a lot of people looking at you wearing those suits and you don't want to go out there and throw 50 metres. So that kind of it has a bit of a demand for me. I would only really wear them if I knew that I was ready to throw pretty far. I wouldn't go out there out of shape and wear a suit. Um, not only do I look a bit sloppy, but um, I don't want to be having average results when people are watching. Um, but uh, 
I think the New York Times wrote a review after I threw in one of the Diamond Leagues in London and it was like, oh, is this the worst uniform in track and field? And I thought, you know, this is awesome. It's in, in the New York Times. But the funny thing was when I was on the train going into London after that meet, I heard a, a wife and husband talking about the meet. And they said, oh, did you see that guy wearing this nude suit? And, um, you know, I was just sitting in the corner having a bit of a smile to myself because I knew I got to someone and that's all that mattered. The nude suit. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking of when I told people to Google it. <laughs> you mentioned results there before and obviously the journey and the fun is a very important aspect of you and your longevity in the sport. But let's talk about some of your results. You have won a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games and you're the first Indigenous athlete to do this. Let's link that back to pride. Yeah, man, it was it was probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, I had a great mindset that year. I had uh, I was ready to win from the start of my training that year. I had a you know the year prior was okay, but I I think I felt like I had something to prove. But I also started working a lot more with the indigenous community um, through this uh, a lot of things. I was working with the Jumpstart to London program and um, getting in and throughout indigenous communities and starting to learn a little bit more about our people and then my family and that connection with my dad. And so um, they were starting to recognize me as one of their own. And then taking that power, uh, a huge family. And that's one of the things about indigenous community that I didn't really appreciate from the very beginning because I didn't know a great deal about it. But having discovered that later on in, in my father's life and then for us, my brother and I as kids, um, when we were able to learn a little bit about what it means to be Indigenous and how our culture of people work, that you don't call your second cousin your second cousin or your fifth cousin your fifth cousin. You're all related. And that opens up this huge family network where you can travel anywhere across Australia and if there's someone with a common surname, you can stay at their house and be welcome to the table. and you know, that is a great sense of family for me. And as you know, I'm a very family orientated person. But then to go to uh, the Commonwealth Games and win, having a little bit more of a connection with Australia and Indigenous Australia, um, for me was meant a great deal because I was able to deliver a little bit on what I hadn't really promised to them, but you know, they knew that I was living that journey at the time. So it was pretty cool. So when you said mindset there before, when you say that you had the right mindset that year, do you feel like now on reflection or did you know at that time that that mindset was that you're doing it for more than you, doing it for more than your immediate family? Uh, it's not just the pride of the green and gold that you spoke about before, but there's this whole nother deeper level that you're actually competing for. Absolutely. Um, I, don't, I don't know the best way to explain it in words. Um, but what I felt from all of these things linking or intertwining was that I was not going to lose. And that's the real power that I had going into that meet. You could have done anything to me that day and I would have been able to respond. Um, and I probably haven't been able to reproduce that feeling as well as I did in 2010, 2011 a little bit. But, you know, I had my, some share of injuries and so forth after that. But... Um, if I was on in any time or I can think of me being on during my career, 2010 was a year that I absolutely link as probably one of my best. What do you feel like might it might take to get you back to that mindset? 
Um, dropping a lot of the baggage that's been trying to drag me down. Um, probably, you know, injuries, expectations from others, um, negative environments. Um, those things are probably the, the beginning. And part of me doing this job here in Sweden and owning it again, like it being my um, decision to be an athlete where I could probably retire. Um, I, I think that having one more Commonwealth Games under my under my belt, so or a goal this year to go to Commonwealth Games and do well in a different sort of for a different reason, but with a similar mindset. Um, you know, I get to be on my home soil in Australia. My parents will be there. My family will be there. Um, my extended family will be there, but also I think that I've been able to drop a lot of the negativity that got me nowhere and just probably dragged me down. And it was a waste of my energy and time fighting it. I should have just, in hindsight, pushed it aside earlier on. But you know, that's the power of hindsight. You get to you get to make those decisions after the fact. But um, you know, I feel a lot more stable in in my choices for life now. That I have a partner and I have a place and I have I belong somewhere. Um, so that's kind of a good start. I read a recent blog of yours discussing issues of athletes' mental health. What is your experience with these battles around that or what you feel from teammates or other sports and what you see from elite athletes around the mental health, ill mental health issues? I think it's a, a common thing that people are scared to compete. Like, especially on a high level because, you know, there's, we have so many expectations from so many different areas. Noise, I like to call it. Uh, that's the way I describe it. Um, if I'm at the centre and, you know, you go into the Olympics, all this noise starts to come from places that it shouldn't be. Or maybe you're not so good at handling or, or putting that, turning the volume down on that noise, for example. Um, so I think that that's a struggle for a lot of people because... When we go out there, and this is something that Dad said to me, he's like, look at those Americans, you know, they're rubbish, some of them are rubbish, but they go out there on the track and they really believe that they're going to win. And that's what they're getting from all of the people who are around them, their coaches, the, the staff, they're given the opportunity to go out there and do their best. And that's, you see that, it's very evident when you're looking at them. But um, sometimes I see from my own experiences and also things that I've lived myself, it's like when you're in the last call room and you're walking out into the Coliseum, um, it's like standing in the line to get shot. Sometimes I believe that's what I see from people. They're scared, they're worried that they might not perform and not get funding next year. And Whereas we could start more by seeing the people and finding what makes them tick and helping, helping them get through all the noise through the call room out onto that arena where they own that because that's what really athletes know, don't they? They know how to run, they know how to compete, they do it a lot, but it's just handling all the external and internal battles that uh, that are present at big championships. How much does that infiltrate beyond the big championships? How much does that then go into their daily lives of self-doubt and pressure and from from your experience around the mental health? Yeah, it's a tricky one because everyone's so very different, but. You know, like there's there's cases where failure is seen as a as a negative thing, whereas I'm on the opposite. Like if I can fail a thousand times in a year, that I'm getting somewhere or moving forwards, 
And that's the attitude that Dad and I always have. Try this, doesn't work, move forward. Try this, doesn't work, try this, it works. Sweet, we're onto something. And then we keep pushing that forward. But failure seen as a, as a positive influence on a career should be uplifted and, and reinforced as something that people should be searching to do more often. But when failure is, is painted in the media, in the public, through coaches, through management staff as a negative thing or as something that people set out to do, that is something that people will avoid to do in all aspects of their life. I don't want to post this picture on Instagram because oh, it makes me look like I'm a bit of a diva or I don't want to say that because you know they might think that's this. Or, and then you lose that sense of self, I think. Who are we and what are we here to say? And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest parts that I've experienced myself personally. Um, but also having a person next to me like my dad and my mum, they're my go-tos. Like, of course, my coaches and, and the, people, the circle around me that I trust in what I've been able to do best the last few years is when I'm down and when I'm doubting, I always go to them. And I know that I can 100% trust that they've got my best interest at heart. There's not someone in the background in my ear telling me something that I, that I want to hear. It's always honesty from them. And, you know, this is what we see as, as helping you to move forward, not as a, an athlete, but as a person. Um, and that's also very important. When, especially in a sport like track and field, obviously you're there to do as good as you can and to perform well when it matters. But what about the people? What about the people behind it? What struggles are they going through? No one knows that because they hop in the last two weeks and then they hop out two weeks after. But I think there could be a little bit more connection with helping them build a team that they can trust. My coaching philosophy is to help my athletes become better people, which in turn will help them become better athletes. And the, you know, part of my philosophy around mental health is that the mind is the most powerful thing that we can coach and we should respect it, nourish it and coach the athlete mind uh, like we would think about coaching the athlete body. And I feel like that's what, where you're coming from in that regard and I wonder then, is this an area where I've seen the tattoo on your big chest, awaken, awake my soul? Absolutely. That came after 09 and it was like, what do I want to do with my life? I want to try everything. I want to, you know, move forward and, and have a crack at things. If they don't work out, that doesn't matter. But I, want, I don't want to be comfortable in a situation and then just accept that. I'd rather, you know, keep pushing the boundaries. It also comes from a lyric from Mumford and Sons that I really connected with, um, which deals a lot with family and, and um, you know, getting to the person. Uh, and I think that that's really important. What you say is making or taking a look at what you're dealing with as a person, because we're so different. Um, and, and seeing that person and helping that person develop will equal better performance, essentially. Well, you would hope it will. But even if it doesn't, they're still better people. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And we mentioned earlier that we're here at your work at this track and field club in Sweden. And I want to ask you what your actual role is, but I can sense what your visions might be in terms of you know, creating a bit of disruption in this industry to help bring that culture in. Absolutely. My focus is the athlete. 
my focus is the athlete and the coach and building the the what they need around the athlete as the epicenter so how do we create an environment where the athletes can perform the best and using these experiences like you know dulling the noise a little bit and and um, helping them manage themselves not only with the practice of being coming to training is the easy part you know okay nine to eleven I'm coming to training that's the easy part it's easy to do that but what about the stuff that's coming um, externally like you know school and money and you know making the right choices and behaving like a, an athlete who wants to go somewhere or even as a person who wants to go somewhere and this is something I also mentioned in my blog it's a little bit about like what we get as an education through sport from our coaches, our coaches are the people who have the most impact on our life, I believe. They, and that's a great power um, to help an athlete or a person be better. All of the things that I've learnt, well, a great deal of the things that I've learnt have come from coaches. And um, those things are employable post-career. You know, I would employ only athletes if I had the opportunity to have my own business because they have work ethic. They have, of course, good athletes who have been part of good programs. So many great qualities that you don't even have to teach. It's just helping them, obviously, develop into the business world or the world of work. But um, a lot of those things that I'm trying to put here in the club, and the, one of the biggest things is, like, don't be scared of failure. Let's fail often and make it a good positive thing for athletes to understand but, and also for coaches to try for themselves rather than do things that have been written by someone else. Use that as a basis for your, um, you know, your training programs or so forth, but have a go. If it doesn't work, then change it. I think that's really important for a lot of people. Creating that environment and that, it sounds like what you want to instill is a lot of mentoring for the coaches and for the athletes. Coaches are obviously great mentors for the athletes, but coaches themselves need great mentors to Absolutely. reflect on, not just for, like you said, programming and planning and periodization, but let's link it back to the coach as a person because the better human that they are, there's such big influence on the athletes. And I know that you are very passionate about that space to create that environment and probably linking back to your connection with the indigenous communities and how much that family pride creates support and through that creating better people in this environment which is ultimately going to create better results but at the same time linking in your term of fun absolutely and that starts from different age levels of course and people have to invest themselves like you know we as leaders or coaches can't just expect that everyone's going to engage they have to have a reason to but try and find what that reason is or give them an abundance of reasons to connect or to link in okay i'm going to be i want to be the next olympian awesome or i'm going to be i want to just learn how to do this so i can be a little bit better runner or not have injuries or i want to do this because i want to learn how to manage my time better or whatever it is but give them given those athletes and coaches something to connect from a vast amount of different reasons or um, opportunities I suppose. And mentoring is such a powerful process when it's tapped into properly when people can understand well what is a mentor how do I utilize them uh, and having the right mentors on board absolutely. So with within your current role how much of with talking about culture before how much of the Australian culture do you bring in to try and create that bit of a paradigm shift? 
or is it more of a coming from your you mentioned before about some great mentors that you've had in and out of sport probably a combination of both actually um i use my dad as an example of a, a great mentor to have because his information isn't locked to elite um so for example if someone has the idea to come up and ask my dad can you help me with technique if if that person is a beginner he's not going to say no he'll go down and spend time helping that person because they've taken the initiative to ask and that's exactly the journey he lived he went and asked and that person gave their time and that's something obviously you've experienced and i've experienced in my own um, development or education and still do but I see a little bit of a trend in once an, a coach gets to an elite level, then they're only wanting to talk to those people who are in that circle. But there's so much power in sharing that information with people who have taken the initiative or the courage to ask for it. Um, and I think that that's, that's one really good start in using examples that I've um, had in my own career. But also, I, I think I spoke to you a little bit about the yarning circle. A yarning circle is something that's used commonly in indigenous communities where you sit around in a circle, no one has their back to anyone, there's no one in the centre, but we sit around in a circle and we discuss issues openly. Everyone has the chance to speak, everyone has the chance to disagree, but we, we talk openly about, it could be like issues that we're having, um, athlete problems that we have or programming issues. That's what I really want to get going this year in our coaches conference. Just all of us sit around in a circle and discuss topics and feel comfortable discussing any questions. Is that something? That's a way that they um, solve a lot of issues in Aboriginal communities. They sit down and they go through, and no one leaves until they come to some form of agreement or solution. And I think that that's something I would like to take from my culture to Sweden and have people take that on board and use it to be able to feel comfortable no matter what level they're at with their coaching ability or their or their um, learning or whatever it is just sit in a circle and feel like you can ask what do you think would be the swedish terminology for a yarn if you're going to create these yarning circles in swedish <laughs> gee whiz i don't think there is one prot is like to speak so you could call it i don't know like Pratstund, like talking hour, or <laughs> I don't know. For the international listeners who don't know what a yarn is, it's pretty much having a chat or a discussion a bit more formally. So a yarning circle is a chat circle. This is obviously really a deep passion area of your, your of yours to help educate people but bring people together who can help educate each other, just creating these learning environments, these yarning environments which I guess is the reason that's led to Haradine performance? Yep, absolutely. Knowledge share, um, that's what we're mostly about, sharing knowledge, it not being connected to an institute or a level or a, a metric. So information is available to whoever wants to seek it out. Can we trust the information? Well, that's up to you. Like if you see what we can offer as, as something of importance, well then ask. Um, but I can tell you now that if someone has taken the courage to write an email, make a phone call, they're not going to get a no. Um, we're very open to sharing knowledge and trying to bring a little bit of the world of elite sport, um, what we learn from our mentors, and just opening the doors to information. And if we don't have the info, we'll connect you with someone who does. But at the moment, it's still 
um, slowly, slowly building. Obviously, I've got this job to take up most of my time, but my dad does a great deal of mentoring and coaching in Australia, and um, it's slowly expanding. But uh, so, Haradine Performance is your platform, and like you said, with the knowledge sharing, so you, that's where you're doing your blogs, you're connecting people, you host events, and you bring in coaches, athletes. Uh, different array of topics and this is your like what I said your platform where I see your biggest area of growth into the future from everything that you're learning and developing from within where you are at the moment absolutely I mean that's what I'm passionate about is kicking that business off and and really having it grow along with you know my growth my dad might not coach for forever but he's still going to be a voice of wisdom I think someone I bounce back off all the time and but then bringing in new people and my education improves and their education improves. But something that um, I, that uh, Dan said in one of your podcasts that I, I really sort of connected with me was that having people ask him questions or a lot of mentees keeps him on his toes. He's able to learn more and progress his knowledge forward. And I think that's super important for what I'm doing also is the more people ask me questions, the more I have to think about how I communicate those ideas. Um, how we communicate cue points or whatever it is, but it always keeps us as coaches or leaders thinking about, okay, the people want to learn stuff, but how do we get it to them in a way that they understand? So I think that was a really important message that Dan had from, from your, one of your earlier podcasts. And of course, you know, that guy's got more information than the, uh, the synagogue, I think, sometimes. <laughs> well, Dan's actually been a close mentor of yours. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's someone that I, that I write to quite often. Um, and I have to say, sometimes I get an answer from him that I'm like, can't you just tell me the answer? <laughs> but uh, he guides learning and that's what it's all about. You know, I'd, sometimes time warrants having a quick answer, but it doesn't give you what, the best result. So he's always thinking about, okay, I'll lead you to where to look or what to read but I'm not going to tell you what the answer is, which is great. And something that uh, Jürgen also did very much so with myself and my dad um, was, you know, always encouraged to trial an error for yourself and not take my word as the only way, which is very humble, I think. It shows a lot of humility from a person who has, you know, world records, Olympic championships and, you know, years of coaching experience to say, well, this is what I've experienced, but it's not... It's not a set standard, it's something that I believe in, but you need to find out what works for you. And I think that's a sign of a good mentor. Absolutely. Another way that you bring in fun into your sport is the uh, will it throw aspect, the hashtag will it throw. I've seen you throw meat pies, slices of pizza. You've even thrown Scotty Reardon's prosthetic foot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have anything that exciting. I was thinking about challenging you to throwing uh, one of our bigger floss bands but I thought that's pretty similar to a discus so that's not really challenging what I want to challenge you to we won't do it today because it's a bit crappy weather out there is I want you to open a tin of shoe strumming <laughs> and I want I want to see will will the shoe strumming throw <laughs> oh absolutely 100% guarantee that I'll give it a go <laughs> <laughs> can you tell everyone what the shoe strumming is um best way to explain it it's Rotten fish in a can. Uh, you only open it once it's gotten to a certain stage of rottenness, if that's a word. Um, but once the, the tin bulges, then you know it's ready to 
uh, eat. I don't know if you want to eat it. <laughs> or throw it. <laughs> Ingest or, or throw it, yeah. But um, I think it comes from the days of when they, you know, they didn't have a lot of refrigeration, so they wanted it to ferment in these salty brine mixtures. It's rank. But yeah, I've heard that you have to open it underwater. You can't just open it. We wouldn't open it in the room here right now because people might die. Let's put it this way. <laughs> if you have an enemy and uh, you know, you, we're in an office environment, you could do a lot of damage by opening a can and putting it in the roof and then just leaving that day and having them play a nice game of find the stink because <laughs> it's not something that you can recognise. It's not a smell that, that it's familiar. It just smells horrible. Um, but yes, you do have to open it underwater and... You don't. People think that you have to eat the whole fish, but it's cut a certain way, and you eat it with certain, you know, meat, uh, bread and so forth. But uh, not something that I do on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> I might stand at a fair distance when I film you doing your hashtag will it throw with shoe strumming. <laughs> I look forward to it. Now, Benny, I'm all about action. I ask all my guests this question uh, to help myself, but also the listeners to implement something helpful into their lives. So I want to know from you, what's your advice on what specific action our listeners can take today to be more impactful in their own lives and in their communities? First thing I would say is don't wait for motivation. Just do it. Like start something. If I waited for the motivation to go to training, I probably missed a lot of days. Um, I know that things need to be done and I just I just do that. And that's what I encourage uh, a lot of the athletes and coaches. If you're sitting around waiting to be motivated to do something, you get nothing done. Just get out there and have a go. And sometimes that motivation comes once you've, once you've begun. Um, another action thing is I would say own the journey and feel like you can always ask questions um, so you can understand for yourself. And it might not seem relevant at the time that you're doing it, but five, six, seven years later, you'll remember if it had an impact on you. And that's some things that I'm starting to realize now that I did some things in my career that I didn't understand were relevant at the point. But now that I look back on those things, I, I understand why we did them. And I understand also that coaches are geniuses because they know us better than we know ourselves sometimes. Well, most often, more often than, than we, than the not. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think that if you, if we can appreciate that the majority of coaches know us better than we know ourselves and observe more things than we probably understand, later on in our careers we'll we'll have a good understanding of why we did why we did those things so create momentum enjoy the journey and ask questions along the way exactly brilliant (laughs) now before we dive into the fast five questions i give all my guests a gift and i'm giving you a block of 90 percent dark chocolate (laughs) awesome (laughs) because we're all about holistic health for the athlete and i went for coffee with uh, you and your lovely fiance jenny yesterday and i saw you eating i don't know if it was clab cocking or a chocolate caramel brownie And I know that you like chocolate, so I wanted to... Uh, Thank you very you. much. I love, I'm actually addicted to 90% dark chocolate, but I taught myself how to eat it because I know it's healthier. It's, you know, almost zero sugar within it. And I feel like uh, I can help other people become addicted to my addiction. What do, what do I have it with? <laughs> uh, definitely fika. Yeah. So you can have it with your coffee. Or actually, here's a tip to everyone. You melt a couple of pieces and you put uh, coconut flakes through it. And it's like a, a beautiful sort of uh, melted chocolate, crunchy dessert. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Give it a go tonight. All right. To make sure you share it with Jenny. 
Where two part question? Where can our listeners learn more about you? So social media or website, and how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? You can follow me, I guess, on HaradinePerformance uh, It's where I spend most of my time writing and uh, sharing things that are going on. Obviously, Twitter and Instagram at Ben Haradine, double N on Ben. Um, and I, always, I have a Instagram account with uh, Haradine Performance also, which is Haradine Performance, and then Twitter with Haraperform. How can you guys help me uh, with my own learning and, and development? Ask me questions. Um, I think that's a pretty good start. Then I have to think about how I'll answer them. Um, ask for help and never feel uh, discouraged by the fact that there might be silly questions because I can tell you now I've, I've certainly asked a lot of stupid ones. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, hopefully these five aren't too stupid for you. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Don't give yourself too much time to think about it. Okay. Let's just let it roll. Yep. What's one habit you wish you could change? Procrastination. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energised? Music and sunshine. Have you ever washed a dog? Yes, I have. <laughs> Did you have that purple push-up bra on? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I would have had a bad tan to explain later on. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that's got me. Um, can I choose two? Sure. Okay. Um, Jürgen said to me when I first came to Germany, he asked me, I said, how was that? And his response was, it was better, but it wasn't good because when it's good, then it's time to quit. That was one. And then um, my dad probably, Jesus, so much gold coming from his mouth. Um, actually comes from cool runnings, but before Olympics in Rio, real rough year, both mentally and physically, he said to me, um, go out there and have fun, obviously. And uh, the thing was, if you're nothing with, without a medal, you'll still be nothing with one, which I think is 100% true. So those two. That's deep, Dad. Yeah. What a good one. Awesome. <laughs> and what are you most grateful for in your life right now? My family and um, the opportunities that I have to live the life that I want. Benny, you're a legend. You're a proud, passionate, humble role model with possibly the biggest pecs I've ever seen on a man. <laughs> <laughs> Keep shining your light to the world, my man. Thank you very much. And I want to say I've been listening to your podcast the last few days actually and um, I'm finding them a wealth of knowledge so I encourage everyone to get involved and download as much as they can very clear very concise and lots to take away from them well we actually did have this discussion yesterday where you credited me that my typical Australian uh, rolling of words into words doesn't come through the podcast not at all super clear <laughs> very easily understood and uh, that's evident I think in in uh, the way people respond to your questions um, but uh, look I'm finding pieces of gold in them and that's what it's all about, learning and, and sharing knowledge as often as possible. I do have to be very mindful not to let my Cobar lingo come out in my podcasting, but the aim is to provide an abundance of value. So thank you for that feedback and thank you again for your time today. Five stars, mate. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Keep moving. Stay warm. So... Pop Flips the Bird, Hashtag Will It Throw, Crazy Competition Outfits and a performance mindset and passion for developing great humans. 
I love the mix of fun and seriousness to create congruency in Benny's life. The Your Life of Impact community will now be thought of as a massive yarning circle, an awesome Australian Aboriginal tradition that is infiltrating the Swedish culture. And I'm proud to be part of Benny's culture building at his club and honoured to be returning in a coaching and mentoring capacity for a series of mindset coaching and running mechanics workshops over the next few months. I'm so aligned with Ben's values on the knowledge sharing and I've learned from the likes of Dan Paff that there are no secrets and the more we share knowledge with everyone, the stronger we grow all communities. And take note of the few mentions from Benny around his views of coaches and their importance in the athletes' lives and consider this in your personal life and how much you could excel and dominate your personal goals with your own personal coach. Most of the world's most influential and successful people in all facets of life have a coach. As Benny said, don't wait for motivation, create momentum. And make sure you connect with Benny online to watch him throw the shoe strumming and follow the remainder of his career through to the Gold Coast 2018 Commonwealth Games. And if you like the music of his that is playing now and was for the intro, you can find the boys on SoundCloud. They're called Surface Department. And I'll also have that linked up in the show notes along with uh, Benny's own personal websites and all his social media tags. If you like this episode, please jump onto your podcast app and give us a five-star review. This helps immensely for me to be able to continue delivering value to you. It doesn't matter what app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes Podcast, whether it's Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever it is. You guys subscribing and downloading each episode is what keeps this podcast alive. And also, please share with your friends, your family, your community, and everyone you believe will benefit from this podcast. Don't forget to give me your feedback on what you loved and what you want to hear more of, so what value I can help bring into your reality. Reach out to us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Life for Excellence. That's at L-I-F-E-F-O-R-X-L-N-S. And you can also find us at Your Life of Impact. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.